want to play the role of the dumb HVAC consultant? No. We can find an authentic dumb HVAC consultant. We should have done that, actually. Our special guest this week, Idiot Tim. <laughs> okay. Okay. Hey, guys. Welcome to the new and improved Better Building Systems podcast. I'm your host, Clayton Ferry, and here with me today is Nick Taliska, Jim D. Pasquale, and Mark Sankey. In today's podcast, we will be discussing some key elements to building a better BMS. So... When it comes to building management systems and the, the components and parts to the building management system, you know, there's a lot of variation in quality and I would say coverage, if that's the right word for it, you know, what, what information can the BMS get for us and display for us? And I know it can always go back to, well, a lot of times budget and, you know, scope are dictated by the owner, but I don't know. I think in our experience, in my experience, definitely, I've seen there's some really simple, maybe what you would call them cheap things that can be done to make a building management system much more useful and refined that don't necessarily require, you know, increase in budget and scope and so on and so forth. Uh, so with that being said, we're going to dive right into it. And I don't know, maybe a good starting point is talking about what we don't like in a BMS or what what would you consider a bad BMS is and I don't know if you guys have any comments about that well initially Clayton and you guys have to educate me on this but when somebody buys a BMS I mean do they spend much time customizing it like this or is it pretty much you know there's an offering that the vendor provides different levels perhaps and it's more of a this is what you get the features well, I think it can go both ways. Whoa, I don't know what happens question. more. I mean, yeah, I can imagine, you know, for what we do, we're going to have a, if it goes out to bid, there's going to be a BMS spec and we're going to have a lot of stringent requirements to make it, you know, as good as it possibly can be to what, you know, the owner wants to, what, what they can budget for and what they want. But I would have to imagine, Mark, there's a lot of times when someone's like, you know, a building owner, we need a BMS and they just get what they get and it's up dictated yep. by what the provider is yep. right so so let's just uh compare and contrast really two methods one is uh unsolicited proposal from a bms contractor hey your stuff is old you needs to be replaced we can you know do it for this amount of money and right here's the features it'll provide etc 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 it can be wrapped into a, a performance contract or it goes through some form of competitive procurement process, whether it's RFP or it's, you know, design, bid, build. So just generalizing, you know, what are the lousiest uh, BMSs on the market? They're the ones that are unplanned that, you know, the owner says, well, it's going to be a fluid process. Well, I have news for you. The cheapest high-performance BMS that you will ever find is the one you get on bid day. You'll never find one that per performs better for less money that you go through a fluid procurement process where you add things in as, as you go because nothing's cheaper than on bid day. Oh, I like that. That could be a whole, like a book, like things that happen <laughs> on bid day. But well, that's, that's, that's interesting. I had to think about that for a second. No, think about the whole, it, you don't even necessarily have to have competition, 
but you have to have a credible risk of competition, right? Mm-hmm. So you can do that through a bid process. You can do it through an RFP process. You can do it th- through whatever. And when you go through that procurement process, make sure you add in things like um, future capacity. It needs to have this much spare point capacity. It needs to have enough licensure embedded for the number of users that you may potentially have in the future. Uh, and it should also have some things like unit pricing for common items. How much is a VAV box controller going to cost me? How about temperature, relative humidity, pressure sensors? How about uh, a one Modbus interface for 500 points or 250 points? And unit price those so that if you do go down the change order path, at least you have some control to say, well, the unit price is this and here's what we'll pay. That's my take on what. how do they go south they go south when they're negotiated, and then you don't get what you thought you would get, and you have to add back, or it's a, too expensive to add back to get the features you really wanted. Yeah, you've gone down a road. Maybe that's just, it's, <laughs> you're stuck. Well, you're never stuck, but, you know, Well, but it, once you start really building good, on a poor foundation. That's it. Yeah. You go down a bad road, and, oh, I thought we were getting back net, and you didn't get back net. Oh. <laughs> That's all. Yeah. Whole, that's a whole podcast. Yeah, and I and I think a lot of the things we're going to talk about too, like um, if you don't ask for them, they're probably not generally going to be um, provided because it does cost the uh, you know control system provider more money. And if they're not asking for it, why would we give it to them? Because we want to make more money. I, I maybe that's shedding everybody, putting everyone in a bad light in that kind of field. But I don't know. To me. If you don't ask for it, you're probably not going to get it for a lot of the things that we consider to be better in a BMS. Wisdom for life right there. And I could be wrong. I don't know. Mark's got more experience than me on it, but. No, listen, I've I've seen a lot of stuff that some would just either make you break out and, you know, doubled over in laughter or just shake your head. You know, we, we interviewed one vendor a big proprietary company many years ago. And uh, so I knew they didn't have any backnet product, but they proposed, you know, that they had a backnet product and the sales guy standing up in front of, you know, this was with the vice president of facilities, you know, fortune 300 company stands up and says, well, we've always had backnet. We just didn't call it backnet. (laughs) And you got to wonder uh, who does he think really believes this stuff? But, you know, to someone who's uninitiated or unskilled or that's not their area of expertise and there's, you know, this is a very narrow field. Yeah, maybe that could be true, right? I guess. You know, things like that, that, uh, you know, if you don't, if, you, if you're going for a, a long hike or I go out west and, you know, I'm going to go on a hunt in a place where I've never been before. Usually I want a guide. Just so, yeah. you know, I know where the hell I'm going to end up. I know yep. he, he's been here before. So it's well worth the money. So that's all I have to say on that issue. I was going to say, that's not all you have to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess it goes back to, you know, what Mark said earlier. Um, you know, the the best performing and the, and the least expensive system you're going to get is on bid day. And I think what can go along with that is, is you know, assuming the bids are coming from construction documents, 
you know, you, it's going to do you a lot of good to have well written control system and building management uh, system specifications, you know, control diagrams. I'm kind of bringing this viewpoint from myself as a design engineer to where, you know, I'm, I don't, I'm not a controls contractor. I'm the, the one specifying these systems in a lot of projects. And I could definitely see where things can go south. Like if you don't specifically spell things out, for example, you know, Mark, you said if they're expecting backnet, you better write your spec around that. Um, you know, little things like that, just to make sure you want to, you know, kind of create that box and that specific um, clear document for everyone to bid on. Cause that will, you know, I prevent a lot of headaches down the road. I agree with that. And, you know, I, I think the, uh, the trinity of documentation that you need for a, a real controls project. And, you know, let's say 500,000 and up, you need a good spec. You need control system drawings for your primary control component, your primary devices, whether it be chiller, boiler, air handling systems, and you need a points list. Mm -hmm. And the points list should indicate whether there are alarm values attached to the, to the software and hardware points, whether there's trending required, so that there's, you've really, if you have those three documents or those three components of the documentation together, you've taken out 90% of the ambiguity. Yep. And that's probably one of the biggest things I see missing from a lot of these documents. You know, when you see a points list, they may only have like the four hardware points listed. You rarely see software points or um, alarms and trending requirements or graphics requirements. You know, I think that's, I'd imagine as a controls contractor bidding on a project, you'd want to see that kind of full points list that encompasses, you know, hardware and software side of things. Did you say sequences too? Did I miss that? I didn't even say, see, I didn't even get the sequences yet. Oh, but of oh, course, oh, that, oh. That, that definitely needs to be included in the specification for sure. Okay. Yeah. I didn't mean to get ahead of you guys then, but yeah. And, and graphics and trending and all that, I mean... If, I feel like if you don't specify some of that, you can really get some garbage, mm -hmm. like complete trash. And I've seen, uh, uh, yeah. I don't know the, if I should say it or not. The for but that is non-conforming. Yeah, non-conforming. Non yeah. Products. <laughs> Holy cow. Some of the stuff I've seen, it's just like, really? What am I supposed to do with this? Or the trending? I mean, and, and I, we can get more into the details with that. But yeah, okay. I just had to chime in on that part. <laughs> No, you're right. And I think that's a huge part missing. I've always thought of that as part of the commissioning effort as well. And I'm, you know, oh, constantly surprised that, you know, I don't know, you know, point to point checkouts go fine. But just uh, the continuity of what are we supposed to do with this data and that understanding, you know, within a team that things need to be set up in a certain way and they need to be reading reasonably. And mm -hmm. if you want them to record over a particular period or at a particular frequency that they are and yeah and that goes back to commissioning we've talked about that quite a bit yep commissioning comes plays a big role in this as well i would agree can you guys hear that fan in the background that's my humidor yeah. you can hear it <laughs> yeah it's just a little yeah. background noise so uh, bring us back clayton bringing it's it five, back it's got Five minute trends on the relative humidity in it too. The, your, oh, so nice. your humidor probably trends data better than some commercial building management systems, which is guaranteed. Uh, it's appalling. That's appalling. 
Can't believe it. Well, it's so, always some, though. You know? What's that? Some. You said some. Yeah. BMSs. Some. I don't know how many, but they're out there. Yep. And they suck. Some is too many. Jeez, <laughs> Clayton, you are you're in a mood today. <laughs> they suck. They're crappy. They're abysmal. Well, it's just, you know, I've just we've struggled through it, and I have used good building management systems to diagnose issues, and I've used bad, bad building management systems to attempt to diagnose issues, and you know, that, that's only a small piece of it, and it, but holy cow, it makes a difference, you know. Um, it does. And with that, okay, so with not with that being said, but moving ahead, are there any, like to you guys, the panel, specifics, like must-haves in a building management system that, you know, you, you don't want to see without? I, maybe it's getting too specific, but I have a list of my own. Uh, overrides hmm. comes to mind for me. Hardware, mm. software, or both? Both. Uh, oh, both. I mean, it's supervised, right? Meaning, so if somebody puts something in hand, uh, hand off auto switch in the field, you know it right away at the control system, human machine interface, right? Yeah, I mean, I wasn't particularly thinking. I didn't really care how it was overridden at the moment, but you know, if you don't have any of them, either hardware or software, you know, that was just what I was reaching for. Some kind of, you know, feedback, and and I think most of my issues are based on feedback. You know, like the whole. We've talked about command versus status before, and if you don't have a status telling you is that fan really on, you know you can't be over there checking it out physically every moment. But without it, it's very difficult to do some things. So that's like a status mismatch, right? Is what you're saying? Like I'm commanding fan on and I'm not seeing it, so you're gonna get an alarm. Uh, I mean, it could be that, or it could just be: Are we really gonna base our whole analysis based on what we told the system to do oh yeah you, you know? feedback in general <laughs> I mean, just, yeah just feedback yeah. you know oh we the fan's supposed to be on do we have any indication that it yeah. is you know without yeah. going into a bunch of other and trying to ascertain if it's on i i love that status yeah but, well we're commanding the valve to be open well i don't care what you're telling it to do what is it doing now that's a little different i mean the position feedback stuff I mean, it's the same type of concept, but you're you're talking about additional cost there. So I can, I mean, I still think they're vitally important, but you know, the status point seems to be, you know, that's the basic of what you want. You'd want a status point coming back before you want a command point. For sure, command yeah. point is. You're talking about like a C trending. As far as you're talking trending. about like CT on a fan or something to say fan is on status cp or, or just a switch pressure switch you know, something yeah yeah, yeah contacts off the motor who knows what, yeah, yeah, any yeah, of yeah, those yeah. right mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, when yeah. i do go on and log on to bms and look at graphic pages and stuff like that another one is the i mean these are all like in the last week i would say you know thirty thousand alarms uh you know we're like a year into this project <laughs> oh man so that just seems to be something weird going on there. Uh, Useless alarms, or or um, what's the word? Uh, nuisance alarms. Nuisance alarms. Yes, that's what I was going with. Yeah, nuisance alarms. They surely dilute the the importance of the actual alarms. Oh, what a, what a statement that is! <laughs> Absolutely. You know, it's interesting to us on a project uh, not too long ago where 
the VA, the VAVs all had hot water reheats on them and they all showed a valve position. So, you know, 23% open, 42% open, blah, blah, blah. And so I, I was talking with the controls technician. I said, man, you guys did a lot of work on that to put valve position. He said, is that commanded? He said, I don't really know. I said, well, let me see the control drawings. Well, I looked at the control drawings. They were all 24-volt floating valves. So floating is when there's no control output, it drives not at all. It doesn't move. When it's minus, uh, you know, driven one way, it closes. When it drives the other way, it opens. So they were calculating that valve position by timing the amount of drive time on the valve. So if it had a one-minute stroke and it opened for 24% of one minute, they assumed it was 24% open. That, in my mind, is the total worst of the total worst. Number one, you've used the worst possible valves you can use to do PID <laughs> control. Number two, you're making a grandiose extrapolation that based on hopefully no wear and tear on a perfect valve and not very much uh, shutoff pressure, it drives the same rate open and closed. I mean, th hmm. that to me was total nonsense. Yeah, that's nonsense. <laughs> I just I feel like, I feel like I had to jump in and just you, you back did. that up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it is nonsense too. Yeah, you have no idea what it's actually doing. Uh, that's right. yeah. I, mm, mm. We wish the valve to open and hope that it opens about this much. Yeah. Wish and hope control. Yep, I agree. Sensors too, like temperature sensors or anything like that. That's another thing. Like I was brought into the BMS industry using NIST and NIST only. And I think we've talked about this in our building management systems podcast probably many times, but um, it's really, really cheap to get a NIST sensor, it, it, you know, for what it is. And I think that's one of the, the easiest and best things you can do to, to understand what you're sensing is actually accurate. Hey, do you guys run into a lot of uh, not NIST? Uh yeah, it's, the, yeah the, the, default, the default that I've seen is non-NIST. Yeah. And it actually, Why? we had a bit, I don't know. It's cheaper. You have to. Yeah, answer. yeah, exactly. You, you pay about yep. $4 a sensor to get NIST certs, which is so, okay. It adds up, sure, but. Yeah. It adds up, but at the same time, when you put them in, and it's 70 degrees, they read 70 degrees, not 70.8 or 71.2. Or they're four with, degrees off. I mean, we, or we, they're four degrees off. You know, right? It's ridiculous. Yeah. And then yeah. how it's much cheap, more cheap oh, insurance? It is. That's what I'm yeah. saying. But well, going back to like what we were talking about in the beginning of this podcast is if you don't ask for it, they're not going to get, they're not going to give it to you because it costs more. Yeah. yeah, I guess I'm familiar with it being into the specs maybe with federal yeah. work. I see it more, but uh Okay. Yeah, that's 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 an interesting one. It would seem uh a lot more expensive in the long run to not use that. But and it kind of makes me think of uh, and I think we touched on it in an earlier show about you know, offsets for temperature sensors oh, and things yeah. like that. That would kind of be something I would I don't know, want to have a better access to find out. You know, if the sensors we're reading have these, you know, major offsets that are program programmed in. And I came across one just uh, 
in the last couple of days, there's a, a flow meter on a project and they're pulling, uh, you know, water from a natural waterway to supplement makeup water. And they have a flow meter. We got GPM and it does a daily total and a monthly total. But we just discovered after a lot of pain that the tech had programmed it somehow to, you know, not count the GPM because it was reading re uh, bad when there was no pumps on, I guess. And so they changed it so it would not record into the trend data set the flow when the pumps were not on. And, and I understand that, but then the question seems to be, well, how do we know it's reliable when the pumps are on? You know, it just seemed that something that was done kind of to make the results fit their expectations. And then they just kind of moved on. And it's been very disappointing to be on the other end of that so it was like a feel-good thing but then you actually needed that data or wanted it and now we have no idea if oh yeah exactly yeah. we have different you know three different indicators uh we could you know calculate everything up by the you know instantaneous gpm or by the daily totals or by the monthly totals and we seem to be way off and mm -hmm. it has to do with some i don't know supplemental BMS programming that was done before we even get the raw data. So I haven't really encountered that before, but now it makes me suspicious about a lot of other things. The tough thing is then you wonder, like it makes me question every, like everything on the BMS. <laughs> Maybe that's it too, you know, more than needs to be, but like we've dealt with temperature sensors that ha have offsets program programmed into them. And then, okay, you look at it and you want to assume it's correct, right? And then it's not because the offset went away and nobody knew anything and now you're looking at it and you think it's true, but it's not. And then you're like, is anything I'm looking at true? What the heck? That's exactly it. And then yeah. I just have to question everything and then I can't take, you can't even, that to me then the BMS is useless. <laughs> and out goes the baby along with the bathwater. <laughs> <laughs> what about trending? <laughs> I like 15-minute trends. Yeah, that's all I need. RMS, 15 minutes. Perfect. Oh, Mark. Mark's done a, a whole monologue on this before. I mean, there's, time, <laughs> I mean, there's times he's absolutely right. I mean, there's times you want, you know, a minute trend. You know, if you're really troubleshooting something, you're talking long-term, though, like, you know, the system's been commissioned, everything's running. Yeah. Well, so let's just think about that, though. What, why would we not want more data? It's well, memory was the old reason, yeah. Yeah, historically. Okay, it sucks up a ton of space, right? Because yeah. we had inefficient file management. Yep. Memory was really expensive. Now, though, who cares, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're at the point of this is, you know, okay, it's going to increase our file size to one terabyte a year. Who cares? How much does a terabyte cost you a year? Uh, so... Especially in the case, you know, if I'm, if I'm doing work for an ESCO, let's have five-minute trends and we're going to store them for three years or longer if we have to go back to the base year so that when there's a hiccup because we changed personnel, the new guy doesn't understand the basis of this performance contract and they start to question it, you have a very clear straight line drawn right back to the origin and we can support it unequivocally man if i had three years of trends at five minutes wow 
<laughs> I mean, that's just the opposite. I a lot of what I do, you know, as a design engineer, is I'm using trends a lot of times to figure out how an existing system's working, right? Um, how loaded it is when I'm looking to extend an existing system or you know, renovations. Mm-hmm. And it's just amazing to me how everything's in place for trending, and it just and it's just not there. There's no useful trend data for me to pull. I might only have a month, or I might, you know, might for whatever reason. It's just terrible data when there just shouldn't be. I mean, you you already have the high cost, yeah, the infrastructure in place. Yep. Just, you know, dot a couple I's, cross a couple T's, and well, you could have a very robust trending system. Well, I think that is one of the things that falls into the cracks, and it's either left for operations to figure out, well, what do you want trended, and they'll take care of it, or in the you know ESPC mm-hmm. world, it's clearly seen as a measurement and verification type of activity, which uh, would be nice if you told the M&V folks they've got to do that. But typically, it's the understanding is that's part of setting up a BAS, and it's usually scoped and specced out. But uh, yeah, it can still be one of the last things to be done or not done. See, I would even go one step further. Historically, the lack of use of trends was driven by economics and file size and structure and all those things but now those those constraints are gone it would make sense and i've had the opportunity to talk to a few different control system manufacturers from time to time you know input on what do you think we should do i would say it should be a default that every point gets trended for pick a number if you want to use 15 minutes that's fine but every point, every input, every output, all get trended by default, and you have to check the box to take them off. Yeah, Which instead of how it is now. Sit through checking yeah. every box. Yep. I yeah. second that motion. I like that. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Yeah. How many times did we ask for a trend and then be, oh, we never yeah, set that one up? Box. Didn't check yeah. the box. And then, yeah, now you have no idea, and you got to check the box, and you got to wait and hope and. All that good stuff. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great point. Yeah, they'll change the paradigm completely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, trending to us for what we do, huge. Absolutely. Well, it may take a couple of years, like you know, Mark was saying, with the, just the memory and everything that you have now, for people to kind of get comfortable with that. Mm-hmm. You know, some people still, you know, delete all their email every day because they think it's clogging something up along the way. So. <laughs> yeah, you know, just it's just a mindset in a way. But are like I guess even in the world of BMS, so um, like I assume there is still well, there's still probably a lot of pneumatic systems out there that don't have any information or whatever, right? I mean, like I don't know. You probably still have a lot of old legacy systems that still don't have the capacity to do the trending, and somebody needs to decide that it's time to upgrade too. Well. Uh, Go ahead. I know. I was just going to say, I would, I would think that's right. You know, that there's still a substantial amount of pneumatic systems out there. I mean, strictly. Or, you but, know, uh, old DDC systems, if yeah, you call it that, legacy, whatever. Electric, pneumatic. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know the quantity. It'd be interesting to find out, but. I don't know. Like, I, how many years will it take to, like, be at the point where, like, oh, yeah, the, it, it everything does come with five-minute trends, and, like, we don't, oh, I, I don't I'll know. Be, I'll be pushing up daisies by then. Yeah. yeah five, five years, I think. <laughs> no yeah, well, yeah, that's, that's I'm going to call it. 
Flying That's... cars in 10. Those are my predictions. <laughs> okay, I'll take yeah. back the second one. Okay, BMS <laughs> to the future, every point will be trended at five minutes. In five years, Nick says? Yep. Or is five it... years, Nick says. Mark, make it happen. <laughs> I think okay. the conf- confluence of, you know, maybe even like the 5G technology in buildings yeah, and stuff yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. And maybe some of this, as you're calling, like, you know, quantum computing, which will just, you know, allow a lot of these things to be done. And yeah, I think in the future, people will be saying there's just, you know, we have all the data we could possibly want. Now, what do we do with that? Which is a whole different, you know. I mean, you'll need you'll need oh. the five minute trending for your AI powered BMS, you know, in five years. So no, you won't, because you just say you'll talk to something that says, "Hey, I, do you serve me up the trend data of that?" And then, unless they're it's sixty years old, it'll say, "Okay, I'll have it to you in a second. If it turns sixty, it'll say, "I can't remember." But <laughs> anyway, I think a big thing that is happening right now is there's a propensity for the BMS manufacturers to use software as a service and once you start to do that again you go right to okay why can't i store this data well you certainly should be able to so that whole issue of oh i need to clear out my files i need to do whatever um you know that's uh it should go away because it's in the cloud is that what you're saying or yeah okay yeah Damn. Well, and I think things are going for more, not necessarily maybe transparency, but open access because people are, you know, interoperating with so many other different systems. I think the tolerance for maybe a, you know, very cumbersome proprietary way of extracting your data and getting it only in some format that was prescribed and then you've got to manipulate that. And I think that'll be a little bit different. And I agree with Mark that, you know, it won't even be a, a pre-thought or an afterthought you know collecting your information it, it just kills me though because we talk about all this and like maybe i just this this can't be part of the podcast but like mark what? this you is just so jaded Clayton. Wait, like i mean blaming you no 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 we we are experiencing this and it's just so painful what specifically, Clayton? I can't get into details. Well, okay. What generally? <laughs> Everything <laughs> we've talked about so far. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't listening. Like even the trending stuff. Not and whatever it gets trended five minutes, but yeah, yeah. Guess what? It comes out. You gotta like download it and convert it and say you know, and you can only download so much at a time. And ah, it's just so painful and, to talk and about you... and see. And it's it's happening. It's like <laughs> it's... real life. It's just. And it's when you do download it, the it. supplier temperature and the duct static pressure are on the same scale, so the yeah. static pressure looks like zero. Yeah, and you, you don't you don't have a secondary secondary access, so like yeah, I mean now I have a flat line at zero, even though it's fluctuating like crazy. But because my temperature is zero to a hundred, and you have 0. 0.03, 0. 0.05. <laughs> oh man, it just it uh Wow, you're really worked up today. I am just, yeah. I mean, talking about all the stuff that it should be and we want and it makes life easier. And It's coming. I just said five years. Five. So and so in five years, I'm telling you though, Nick, it's not going to, that's not going to be the case. No. Why is that? It costs money. Because there aren't money. enough people out preaching from the good book. <laughs> That's yeah. why. You know, people don't know better. The, the customers don't know better. And, yeah. And, you know, when you, you show them 
the real deal and you really take them to see a high performance system, one that's been designed right, commissioned right, I mean, it's a eye-popping experience compared to the norm. I mean, I had a couple of years ago, we did a design for a big project out in Ohio. I had a three-week long email debate with a controls manufacturer who told me that NIST was obsolete and there was some other new standard that he was preaching that everything was calibrated to. I said, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. NIST is the National Institute of Standards and Testing, and that facility is still open, and that's what I want. I mean... And it works. And it works. Yeah. I, I don't want to know about, you know, some flim-flam. Feel second. good. Yeah. No. Just absolutely not. Flim-flam. Feel good. You know, standard. Yeah, I don't want the flim-flam standard. But I, I think Clayton's right, but you have to always look at the you know, potential to, okay, maybe you can't convince a customer to do all these things, but pick your, your battles and say, there's a reason that we want to design this way. And it costs a little bit more money right? because in the end, the result will be infinitely better, yep. probably better than you can imagine. Yep. And I think that's a big driver of it, obviously, is the customer doesn't fully understand why 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 do you need NIST and why that costs extra money and why do we want position feedback on all our actuators and you know status mismatch alarms programmed and five minute trending and all that stuff because you know when we do it day in and day out obviously it's a necessity and we know the difference it makes but when you don't know I, that's why I always like the analogies Mark comes down to like you know well you're spit you're um like automotive you know. Well, your PID loop for your cruise control is smooth. So the PID loop for your, you know, RTU discharge air temperature should be smooth too, because, you know, the technology is there. It's really simple. So, you know, and that's a so good one. Yeah. Going back to the bid process, though, it's interesting. I was just thinking about it. We did a project, I guess it was about three and a half years ago now, not too far from your house, Jim, uh, where a controls vendor had given a customer a price of not quite a million bucks for a BMS, new BMS. And uh, we got a call, hey, can you come and take a look at this? A, look at the proposal, and then B, what can we do about this? Because uh, we don't know if we're getting everything we want or need, and also that seems like a lot of money. So we did a quick design, I mean quick, added a bunch of things in that were not in the original proposal. I mean, a bunch of things, you know, back net position feedback on every valve, NIST, blah, blah, blah. You'd think it'd be a lot of things, right? Put it out to bid, and the high bidder was 370000 which was the original $900,000 wow. vendor, and they bought the job for a little over three hundred grand. That's Ooh. crazy. Oh. Yeah. So, number one, how do you save face when you come back after you're 900,000, yeah. come back at 370 and say, oh, and we're going to do this too. I mean, there's no plausible explanation for that except, uh, yeah, our hand was in the cookie jar. Sorry. What do you say? Pigs get fat, hogs get slaughtered? Yep. <laughs> yep. I agree completely. Mm. I don't know. Mm. Any other input? Come on. What else uh, do we well, want to talk about? Going back to, um, you know, 
what makes a good BMS more and more security is essential. Yes. Especially with software as a service, especially, you know, if, if you look at some of the major hacks over the, you know, data breaches, Target. Yeah, I thought you were going to bring that up. Yep. Yeah. How'd they get into Target? Through the BMS. Through the BMS, through yeah. the through the BACnet stuff, right? Yep. Yeah. Through an unsecured BACnet broadcast management device. That's crazy. Yep. But yeah, security huge nowadays, absolutely. And I don't know. I mean, I know some are probably really good. I don't know. The one that I have most recent experience with, I don't know. I don't know how it is. <laughs> well, what's it tell you every time you try and log into it? It says, this is not secure. Go back. Oh, yeah. What What, what do you mean when your Google Chrome server, when right. you try to log into the BMS, tells yeah. you you're accessing a not secure site? That's your first time, okay. Right? Proceed it's anyway. Just, you have to. You have to. I guess you so. Have no you, know? you have no choice. Dang it. Well, and I think that the security is one of the things that, you know, it's so it's so critical, but it's one of the things that's maybe preventing some of these things we're talking about, you know, as far as having separate dedicated networks, which limits you interfacing with other things in your facilities or outside of it. And certainly in the federal world, uh, you know, getting data off site. Yeah, it's pretty much like, you know, carrying one bite off at a time. <laughs> It's uh right, you know, very difficult. You're not sitting at your house and tapping into, you know, a network out at Fort Bliss or something and checking on things. But I mean, yeah, so like but you can still do that and make it convenient too. Like you can have a completely dedicated BMS network, right? And like would it be I don't know, Mark, um it'd be like one front end protected by a firewall and you whatever, that's pretty safe and secure compared to everything talking back to the cloud and then have it aggregated there. And then if you get into one, you know, device, you can get into the rest of the system. I mean, you can still do it securely, obviously, and have it be convenient. Sure, you can do it securely. But, you know, so that, that goes to the other, well, you know, what causes BMS systems to be become obsolete? You know, a lot of it has to do with a proprietary systems connected to B, uh, operating systems that people have not kept up to date and consequently go, you know, no longer supported. And then the next thing you know, the thing becomes a dust collector and remains in that state for five years until they finally scrape up the money to replace it all. Wait, so are you saying like, like the PC, the operator workstation is the, the thing that's not getting updated and then turns into a you know, dust collector or all of it. Yeah. I mean, all of it, you know, there's a reluctance to do the, the software maintenance that's required to keep the network running correctly. Mm -hmm. You know, when's the last time you saw a uh, windows XP server running in a building? I know two years ago for me, but how wow. long has windows XP been obsoleted? Yeah. So, yeah. 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 I can guarantee you that's not secure, and I can guarantee you it's not opter operating at an optimal condition. Right. And then you get to the point where, okay, there's no support for uh, network function on Windows XP, and oh, and by the way, now the hardware, field hardware, can't be upgraded because that's past its uh, its 
extended, you know, it's expected life. Mm-hmm. And you've, you're faced with no longer a migration, but now a wholesale replacement of mm-hmm. everything, including the communication media. I mean, that's just, it, it's, that's not the way, you, you know, you need to plan these things. Number one, when you have the hardware and software, you need to maintain it so that you do get the maximum life out of it and at the same time keep it secure. So does that fall on the building owner and operators or the BMS provider though? Probably like what you're saying, it seems like it's more, well, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to put blame. I'll let you answer. <laughs> well, I don't think there's any blame. I think, you know, BMS, if it's done right initially is generally, uh, you know, to the financial entities that are responsible for buildings is out of sight, out of mind. Yes. It doesn't cause me, cost me money. It helps save me money. The people that use it don't complain about it. And generally, when they bring me requests for funding, I deny them anyway, so they don't even bring me requests for funding. <laughs> no, I mean, it's true. They won't give us any money for this. And then you do some digging. Why haven't you um, you know, put in the security patches for the last 27 months? Well, nobody told me I had to. Well, your staff doesn't tell you you need to. No, I haven't heard anything about it. Then you talk to staff. I, I don't take them requests for funding because they always cut them. <laughs> Well, it's a chicken or the egg question. Oh, that one sounded personal to you a little bit. A little bit. <laughs> Damn. Yeah, it's a tough environment with which to work. You know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Your side. Yep. So I don't know. I mean, and I know there's obviously a lot of challenges, you know, financially and owner education and all this stuff that come into play. Like we've kind of reiterated in this podcast. So I, I mean, obviously, I don't want to sound like it's like a utopic like not, I don't know, it can happen and it should happen. And there's plenty of easy things that can be done to make a BMS great and or good even. But, um, I mean, I understand that there's plenty of challenges to get there as well. I mean, so I don't know. (laughs) You think it's all financial then? I mean, do I think, mm, I think a lot of it is like anything, education wise too but i think the financial decisions may be based on owner education kind of like they don't know they need it so they don't want to pay for it well maybe that's part of the problem is that you know the industry hasn't done a good enough job explaining the other side of that you know equation yeah right right and i think and it seems like the whole world is kind of you know been waking up for a while now to you know, monetization of data, so to speak, and you can't do it with every piece of data you have, but I would think it's a an easier line to follow in 2021 than it is, you know, 10 years ago that, you know, the data, having a good, reliable BMS that provides the services that you need and controls your equipment, and then also having that feedback that you can then use to, you know, continue the loop of constant improvement Mm-hmm. That there's value in that too, but at times it can be hard to quantify. I agree. <laughs> and now I don't so know I don't know where to take the podcast now okay, if we so wrap it up. <laughs> when, when you wrap it up, so for wrapping it up, you yeah. know, what how do we build a better BMS? And I would say, you know, the first thing you have to have is a plan. No journey yes. starts without knowing where you want to mm-hmm. end. Mm -hmm. So, and sometimes you never really know where you want to end until you talk to a guide. 
I want to end up someplace good. In my case, it would be a, a good place to hunt or to fish or whatever. So yep. either, you know, talk to friends or talk to a guide or whatever, but figure out how, you, you know, the, what the end point is. And then you start to figure out, okay, to get to that end point, I need to take these steps in between. And the steps need to be conducive to providing a great HMI that's intuitive to use, that provides yep. lots of data and controls that provide accurate controls, you know, relatively high performance controllers. I need to be able to expand it economically. So it needs to be an open system and list your criteria and then start the the building process, which begins with a, either a RFP process or a you know design bid build process. But uh, don't just uh, accept whatever gets put on your table as supposedly the latest and greatest because it probably isn't. Yeah. Now, is this the point where I say for more information or guidance, check out www.vsenergy.us? Absolutely. <laughs> Okay. Sure sounds like it. <laughs> I mean, it's a great service when you think about it to have an unbiased, uh, essentially uninterested party just yes. guide you through your BMS selection. Yep, yep. I yeah, agree. It, it, I mean, it can be treated as a completely separate project, you know. Yep. And like you said, start at, uh, yeah, I mean, there's got to be a way you think through this mm -hmm. logically and like you said, build it up and out and establishing what the core requirements are somebody that knows what is valuable, why it's valuable and you know, why the potential extra cost is worth it. Even though, like we talked about, if it goes out to bid, it's probably going to be a heck of a lot cheaper than just accepting the cost at face value. If it's presented to you. Absolutely. Or even just trying to negotiate a little bit. You oh know, yeah, you, absolutely. You won't get as good as a, yep. some competition. Yep. I agree. So, um, I don't know guys with that, I feel like we can wrap this one up. I think we covered a lot. We covered uh, a lot. Yeah. I, I hope I didn't just sound like a complainer for one hour. Um, no, <laughs> even, not at all. even though I just, you know, some of this stuff is very personal because it's, I, I see it and it stinks, you know, to be the person dealing with it or watching the owner that has it or whatever, you know, um, so yeah, that's why I thought this podcast would be kind of valuable um, to to have the discussion for our listeners, anybody tuning in, interested in the in the field or subject. And with that, I don't know. Mm, do we want to break this up into a little mini series? Is it worth breaking it down to segments? Because I know we talked about this really at a maybe not a ten thousand foot level, but a pretty high level. You know, I was gonna say this seems like a tip tip of the iceberg it, it so surely does oh boy so okay. where where would be like uh where's the next logical place to go like so you need a bms <laughs> that sort of thing um what are your thoughts mark i know we were talking about a little bit we break there we can probably break it down into three or four sections of a bms and you know break it down into sensing equipment and you know hardware actuators and HMI I don't know. And HMI, yeah, HMI network and stuff. So I think we're going to try to break break it down into kind of s those subcategories for you guys, the listeners. Um, and maybe it won't be in one, you know, straight shot series of episodes, but I think it definitely requires some, you know, further attention in the podcast. So keep your eyes out for that those episodes, guys. Is that recorded? Yeah. Oh, 
Okay. <laughs> and with that being said, thank you guys for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Better Building Systems podcast. Um, hopefully <laughs> you learned what a bad BMS system is and what we consider to be a good BMS system. And stay tuned. Our next episode may or may not be um, a breakdown of more BMS. Or maybe we'll talk about certificate pumps. We're going to give it the week to decide. So thanks a lot, guys. Have a great day.